support for this episode comes from The Current Report. From data privacy to the future of TV, retail media, and beyond, the world of digital marketing is constantly in flux, so how can you keep up? Well, The Current Report is there for you. Each week, marketing leaders on the cutting edge give you the latest insight. If it's creating a buzz, they'll be talking about it. Subscribe to The Current Report wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from another podcast. The world's most valuable resource, it's actually data. Our data, based on our behaviors, is frequently being gathered, tracked, stored, and sold. So what does this mean for us? Join host Rafi Krikorian for season two of Technically Optimistic, where he'll take you on a deep dive into how our data is being used and what we can do about it. From social media feeds to foundational human rights, Krikorian leads us into territories both familiar and unexpected with openness and genuine curiosity. New episodes of Technically Optimistic drop every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Before we start, I just want to say Decoder was nominated for a Webby Award for Best Technology Podcast, and you can vote for us to win a People's Voice Webby. So a link to the voting is in the show notes. We would really appreciate your vote. Hello, and welcome to Decoder. I'm Neelai Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge, and Decoder is my show about big ideas and other problems. Today, I'm talking to Alan Young, a professor of entrepreneurship at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and the former head of the Foxconn Project in Wisconsin. Now, if you don't quite remember, Foxconn in Wisconsin was a massive deal. One of the first big moments in the Trump presidency, complete with President Trump holding a gold shovel at a lavish groundbreaking ceremony, where he said the factory would be, quote, the eighth wonder of the world. The deal itself was supposedly quite simple. Foxconn, which is the company best known for manufacturing the iPhone, President Trump and Trump-supporting Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker, all announced that Foxconn would build a giant display factory in Wisconsin. It was supposed to bring 13,000 manufacturing jobs back to the United States, specifically in southeastern Wisconsin. Wisconsin itself promised more than $4 billion in tax credits to Foxconn, cleared land for the proposed factory by pushing people out of their homes, and even diverted water from Lake Michigan to support this plant. Now, as it happens, I am from Racine, Wisconsin, and I grew up just a few minutes from the proposed Foxconn development. I kept hearing about this plan, mostly because my mom kept getting stuck in construction traffic on I-94. So I'm the editor-in-chief of The Verge, and I started assigning stories about it mostly to Verge Investigations editor Josh Jezza, who covered the deal more closely than any other reporter in the industry. And it turned out that Foxconn was putting on a great show, but nothing like an LCD factory was actually getting built, even though Foxconn kept saying it was happening. Over the past few years, Josh and the rest of the Verge team have written more than 20 stories about Foxconn, the proposed factory, the quote-unquote innovation centers they promised to build around the state, and the neighborhoods that were being torn up to clear land for this plant. Josh actually won both the Deadline Club and Sydney Awards for his reporting on Foxconn, which in the world of journalism are no small things. Because Josh was so deeply involved in all this reporting, he's joining me on this episode of Decoder. Hey, Josh. Hi. Thanks for having me. So real quick, just tell us what the Foxconn deal was and what some of the early skepticism was rooted in. So this was supposed to be an enormous deal. It was an enormous deal. It was it was the largest incentive package offered to a foreign company. It was supposed to bring high-tech manufacturing to the United States, to southeastern Wisconsin. It was going to be centered around this enormous LCD fabrication facility, 20 million square feet, uh, employing 13,000 people. It's going to have all of these supply chain effects that were going to create a new industry uh, in the United States, one that had previously located almost exclusively in, in China. There were some obvious reasons to be skeptical here, one of which is that the reason this industry is located in, in China is that there are uh, you know, supply chain requirements like the need to manufacture these giant glass panels on site because they're impossible to transport, you know, labor costs. Also, just the cyclical nature of the LCD business meant that we were foreseeably on the precipice of a bust. There was going to be a glut in these LCDs. We didn't really need another fabrication facility anywhere in the world, much less in Wisconsin. And then Foxconn has a history of sort of promising these giant projects that then don't materialize. So there were some obvious reasons this didn't make any sense. They turned out to be justified. 
you know, where we stand now, the project employs maybe a few hundred people. There is no LCD fabrication facility. Instead, there is a facility about one twentieth the size. It is empty. Local officials are trying to find tenants to do literally anything in it. The contract has been downsized. Foxconn is aiming for uh, about 1,400 people now. It is not materialized. It's not there. And maybe the most surprising and unusual thing about the whole Foxconn debacle is not that it didn't happen, but that for years Foxconn kept insisting that it was happening, that it was building an LCD factory when it obviously was not, uh, that it was also doing all these other things, building innovation centers around the state, doing self-driving cars, doing AI. It seemed like for a period there, every couple of months, Foxconn was announcing some new projects. The employees that did believe these promises came there and found that they really had very little to do. Some were asked to find out what Foxconn should do in Wisconsin. Others just watched Netflix in the office. (laughs) It sounds like a pretty good job. My favorite moment from all of Josh's many stories about Foxconn uh, is when you reported that the self-driving car project was just a bunch of golf carts and employees were just racing them around parking lots because they had nothing else to do with them. That's right. That was one of the many Foxconn projects. It was supposed to be a smart city program in Racine with self-driving shuttles that were going to help people commute to the factory that did not exist. Foxconn just ended up buying some golf carts, which were not self-driving, and the (laughs) employees just raced around an empty building. That's pretty good. At this point, with this much distance, I'm like, that would have been a pretty fun summer. But you heard from employees and I heard from employees that they had really bought into this project, that they were going to revitalize Wisconsin. They felt very committed to not only the project, but the area, the region. A lot of people from Wisconsin left jobs to join Foxconn. And at the end of it, they felt betrayed, I think is the only correct word. That's right. A lot of people really believed the promises. They did hire a lot of locals initially, and they left good jobs to come be part of this manufacturing renaissance that they've been told was happening. Wisconsin obviously has a strong manufacturing history, and a lot of them wanted to see that begin anew in in this sort of new industry for the United States. Our guest, Alan Young, was the Foxconn executive who was initially in charge of the project in Wisconsin. Josh and I both tried to interview him multiple times while all of this was ongoing, and he always turned us down. But he's left Foxconn now, and he's written a book called Flying Eagle, which was the code name of the project in Wisconsin. And it's about how the deal came to be. Josh, what were your thoughts on finally getting to talk to Alan? I mean, where to start? <laughs> Foxconn is a notoriously opaque company. They have a policy of, of never talking to the press. I never got to talk to anyone on the record uh, in an official capacity during my reporting. All I could ever get was emails saying that they're building the factory. But Alan was always this figure who was clearly quite influential in the early stages of the project. He was one of the architects of the deal. He was in charge of the Foxconn division that was supposed to sort of lay the foundation for the whole project. He was behind the innovation centers that Foxconn was supposed to open across the state. So I have a, I have a lot of questions for him. I was also very excited to talk to Alan. I felt throughout the course of our reporting that if Foxconn was just a little bit more transparent, things would have gone a lot better for them throughout the region. But there was just kind of the brick wall and the insistence that they were building a factory that somewhat plainly was not there and is still not there. We should get into the interview. I will warn everyone that Alan is planning on two books. So the first one that he's just published is called Flying Eagle. It's all about how the deal came to be, the process of negotiating the deal. Many of the answers to the questions we asked are apparently coming in the next book. Uh, And Alan makes reference to it several times. Just a fair warning, it's going to come up a lot, but we did our best. A couple of notes before we start. This one's in the weeds because Josh and I are so deep in the story, and obviously so is Alan. You're going to hear us talk a lot about LCD fabs. LCD fabs are LCD fabrication facilities. It's where you make liquid crystal displays. A Gen 10.5 LCD fab is a factory that makes large liquid crystal displays for televisions and other things of that size. A Gen 6 LCD fab makes smaller panels for phones and tablets and things like that. Alan talks about FII, which is Foxconn Industrial Internet. That's the corporate entity inside of Foxconn that took over the Wisconsin project in a somewhat confused set of circumstances, but now they're in charge. FII has built sort of a medium-sized glass dome on the site. We've been told it's a data center. We talk about that at length. We also talk about 
Foxconn's promised AI 8K plus 5G ecosystem, which I can't tell you I know what it means still, but it was a major part of the company's marketing in Wisconsin. We are always curious to find out what that means. And lastly, you're going to hear a lot about Ohio, which has just secured a major manufacturing deal with Intel, and which was apparently in the running for the Foxconn LCD deal. Okay, let's get to the interview. Alan Young, professor of entrepreneurship in the University of Wisconsin-Madison, the former lead of the Foxconn Project in Wisconsin. Here we go. Alan Young, you are a professor of entrepreneurship at University of Wisconsin-Madison. You are also the lead on the Foxconn Project in Wisconsin. Welcome to Decoder. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to talk to you. I also have Josh Jezza here. He is the reporter at The Verge who covered Foxconn most extensively. Welcome, Josh. Hi, and good to meet you, Alan. Hey, Josh. How are you? So, Alan, you've written a book about Foxconn in Wisconsin called Flying Eagle. Tell us about that book. Yeah, I wrote that book in the past year and a half, partly because I think there are a lot of untold stories that need to be told, and I want to share some of the interesting backstories and narratives so that people know uh, a lot of great deal of work and uh, tireless people and patriots had worked very hard to bring this investment into the United States, and that brought the project to Wisconsin. So Josh and I covered this project extensively at The Verge the whole time. We've also both read the book. Here's what I want to tell you. If you just read this book cover to cover, you would end fully believing that there is a Generation 10.5 LCD factory in southeastern Wisconsin. There is not a factory. What happened? Well, I think if you read the book, and you did, and I thank you for that, it stopped right around the end of the year 2017, I think everybody, including myself, fully believed that the Gen 10.5 fab would happen. And a great deal of work went in there. And uh, until later on, that was the plan. And uh, that was the intent. And we did have a plan. And oh, by the way, I want to thank the two of you and The Verge for covering the story so extensively. Not everybody actually had put in the time and effort to do that. And I also want to clarify that, I mean, up until this point, I have not talked to uh, the media, definitely have not talked to The Verge. Oh, I know. We tried to talk to you a lot. You always said no. Yeah. Well, we have very straight policy, especially given my role at the company and also my responsibility for the project. But I do appreciate you You take the interest and did a very extensive reporting on that. And I commend you for that. And a lot of the facts and data you share more uh, completely and extensively than any other outlet or, or report uh, organization. And that's a really great contribution and great discourse. Well, I, Josh did all the work. So congratulations to Josh. <laughs> I appreciate the compliment. I just want to get back to this. You wrote an entire book about Foxconn, Wisconsin that ends before the thing happens. It's all about how the deal came to be, but it does. it just doesn't address the fact that it was never executed. That there's no factory. Why not address that in the book? Well, that would be the next book. And uh, originally, that would be one book, but it would just take way too long. And also, the book would be very thick. So right now, what I would like to do is to share the first chapters of the story and, and how that came about. And quite honestly, I think your reports over the year had talked about how political this endeavor or, or the project had become. It had never been intended to be political, but unfortunately, uh, once it get into that high profile, it turned very political and it became a bit of a football later. And I think that narrative, a lot of the, the stories will come in the second book in the follow-up. But you were there during the crucial period when the, when the factory didn't get built. So could you give us... You must have some ideas about why that didn't happen, even if you haven't written the second book yet. Could you tell us why, in your view, there is not a factory in Wisconsin? Well, I am writing that second book, and it should come out sometime this year. The title of the book is uh, Wisconsin Valley. Quite honestly, most people don't want to mention that, or even the Science Park probably had changed its name back to Foxconn Science Park. 
long and short answer to that, Josh, is the business condition had changed, but also the investment climate had changed dramatically in Wisconsin. So I expand on that uh, a little bit before in my public comment the last few weeks. I'll probably have a lot more to share in the second book. And if you do invite me to come back, I can tell you a bit more. The, the market plays in a global sense is that the Chinese manufacturers were flooding the market with a lot of the big panels because they have a lot of Gen 10.5 or even one of them, maybe a Gen 11 fab coming on stream. And a lot of those products were shipped based on tremendous amount of support and subsidies within mainland China. And even the, the Foxconn fab in southern China had a tough time competing. That would be the market side. But in the long term, it would absorb all the volume. And the company had every intention to build both the Gen 6 and the Gen 10.5 fab. And I think we have shared it publicly that if the market condition is not ripe for 10.5, we'll build the Gen 6 fab first, and then we'll follow on the 10.5. The business environment, the investment climate changed a lot in Wisconsin, partly because we did have a change of leadership within the governor's mansion. And that's not the entire reason, but a big chunk of that is because uh, if you remember, there were a lot of collaboration between Governor Walker and his administration with the company called Foxconn. And we appreciate that. We're grateful for the support. But we also were very thankful for the bipartisanship that we uh, encounter coming into not just Wisconsin, but the other states. And you both read my book. Uh, I have complimented a lot of that, you know, within Wisconsin, you know, going up and down the state route in I-94, you have the mayor and also the county executive of Milwaukee being there for us. And also the county exec and the mayor in Kenosha were also very supportive. Wait, but Alan, let me ask you a question. I get that. I believe that. Every politician wants to see a giant factory with 13,000 jobs in their backyard. Josh wrote the story where he visited all of Foxconn's innovation centers that were empty before the election, before Walker was voted out and Evers was voted in, and there was no factory. And I would tell you that the, maybe the people of Wisconsin were looking at promises that were made that were not delivered upon and said, the guy who made us the promises, Scott Walker, didn't deliver, and we voted in a new person. And that the election of Tony Evers is not why Foxconn didn't build a factory, because they were already not building a factory. Actually, that's not true. I'm not placing all these attributes or reasoning behind the election here, but the environment in terms of when you have a company coming in, making an investment, you know, whether it's $100 million or $1 billion, in, in this case, $10 billion. Just put it in perspective, it's $10,000 million dollars. The kind of attack that we received almost from day one after the contract was signed was basically unprecedented. But I, that attack was rooted in the exact thing you said, which is that the market for LCDs was being overwhelmed by Chinese suppliers and no one could see the business case for an LCD factory in Wisconsin at higher labor rates without the supply of workers to staff such a factory. That was the criticism. Actually, this doesn't make economic you know, sense. You, you, given have, you have a couple consultants and advisors and other states have hired that. Um, I would just answer to that point by saying two things. One, nobody really had the crystal ball. And the market changes dramatically in terms of supply and demand. And it's very cyclical. Okay. Now, when you go back to what we had said before, I still believe to date and five years from now, there is a tremendous need for a TFT LCD fab in the United States, whether you can build it in Wisconsin, because everybody, after you sign a contract to come, became a lot less supportive, not because they don't want the investment, because it became political and articles came out attacking us so that it may score a point or two, might not be very helpful 
And if after the election, they all die down and everything back to let's work together and make it happen, we would be very happy. But that wasn't really the case. Um, we know why, because there's another election coming up with the biggest supporter of all, which is President Trump. So we, we live with that. The company has been very uh, reserved, very conservative in terms of making statements. We did work with the incumbent. We had said nothing negative about the prior or the later administrations, and I think that remained to be the same. But I'll come back to you what you said about Innovation Center, okay? Because that was my idea. We had talked about how to build up the capability and how to leverage all other places and locations within Wisconsin. And that would be one of the ways that we tap into local talent. Now, we've been actually, and I think your press organization has said that too, we've been compared to building innovation center as Potemkin offices or outfits. Um, anytime you put well over $50 million, along with paying some of the upkeep and also the property taxes to either put up Potemkins or to help an incumbent getting reelected, we don't do that. You know, we actually work for our shareholders. And, and therefore, I would like to clarify that. But I think if there's an appearance that was the case, it really shouldn't be. And it was unfortunate. I would mention in the next book that we actually purposely scale back the announcement of the Innovation Center for Madison until the following April because it was too close to the action. And it's really not fair that we, you know, announced that one, you know, a few weeks before November election in 2018. We need to take a break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about the innovation centers that never seem to have anything going on inside of them. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. Here's the story of innovation told in five words. Try. Explore. Connect. Pivot. Transform. See what happened there? As soon as Connect entered the story, innovation became achievable. That's why Deloitte works with clients and tech alliances to bring together the people, ideas, and technologies to overcome, solve, and, of course, transform. Connect to what matters for innovation. Start at Deloitte.com slash US slash innovate. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance... Who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We're back with Alan Young. Before the break, Alan, I've been talking about innovation centers. So, Alan, yes, to revisit the innovation centers, you announced several of them across Wisconsin in late 2018. I visited them in 2019, well after they were supposed to be open, and there was no one in them. It was just dusty sawhorses and concrete floors. When I reported that, you said that they were not empty and that a correction would be forthcoming. Uh, one never came, and I checked back a month later, and then a year later, and they continued to be empty and they never opened. And I guess my question is, why did you say they were not empty when they were empty? And why did they remain empty for so long? Well, let me put it that way. We did answer to you, but our straight corporate rules on engagement and communication is that unless we have something substantive to really share, either because of the plan or something that we have done, I wouldn't be able to actually say a whole lot. But I have indicated to you and everybody else multiple times, there are people working in there. And I, I did worry about your well-being. You know, I was just talking and joking about climbing <laughs> trees and all that. And and really, we were very fond of you and your reporting because, you know, you obviously have a keen interest in the project. 
Uh, we do have people ourselves and also our partners and clients in many of the buildings. The one that we never actually did anything were the ones in Eau Claire. The brick building was meant to be dormitory and short-term housing when we actually rotate engineers and programmers in. You know, the principal who actually were supposed to sell us the project and, and the property never actually deliver. And he went around and told you and everybody else that we, we didn't f- fulfill our commitment. Well, he did not fulfill his performance contract with us. We terminated him. Um, but that was unfortunate. Why not but- just say these things to us? I understand that Foxon has a policy, but we <laughs> asked you 5,000 times and there was just dead silence. And I, Josh never risked life or limb. I wouldn't let our reporters. He just no, looked in the no, window. <laughs> right? I mean, this was like, no, there are still the, people in Wisconsin going around to these sites and looking in the windows and seeing no one in these buildings. No, the Eau Claire sites, the two building, the brick building is unfortunate because I I made the decision that that would be a good mix, mixed use And the idea uh, there structure. was you were going to have short-term housing for engineers. Why did you need to house engineers in that building? Because for people to work together and bring up some of the talent, we will rotate uh, engineers and programmers to be on site around our innovation center. And I'll bring that up in my next book. Uh, We have a conveyor belt concept, meaning you you cannot tap into just Mount Pleasant alone to really build up the talent pool. In fact, if you just go to Milwaukee, it's not feasible either. We were going to use Milwaukee as our radiation point, our headquarters, and we tap into Madison, Eau Claire, along with Racine and other places if we can find a site to actually work with maybe innovators, uh, programmers, and engineers, partly because it's local, partly because we would have a remote work by then. Uh, that was actually before COVID. Um, so some of that work actually was supposed to happen, and we did make it happen uh, within Milwaukee, but not other places except a bit of racing there. But as I said before, um, we would try a lot of different ideas. Some of those get reported, others would not. And unfortunately, within the media, when everything became negative and that sells a lot more clicks and eyeballs, you report the 96 or 92% of the things that we're trying and didn't happen, but the other two or four or 6% that happened didn't really get picked up there. So, so that became a little bit more unfortunate. But Innovation Center is something that we actually feel very proud of, and we made a commitment to do it, and they were supposed to be linked by whiteboard and broadband and really tap into Eau Claire, tap into Green Bay. We did not want to lease building because, number one, that didn't show commitment. And number two, as I had mentioned before, uh, we were making investment in Wisconsin without or with credits. The buildings that we purchased in Green Bay, in Eau Claire, in Madison, and in Milwaukee, and also in downtown Racine, none of that earned us tax credits. But earning tax credit was not the primary objective sure, of doing I just, this project. I, I, you know, we don't even have any questions about tax credit here. Okay, I'm just no, no, you, trying you, to get you, to. I'm just trying to get to the heart of. You signed up to build a, a Gen 10.5 factory in Wisconsin. That's the famous cocktail napkin contract with Scott Walker. All of this other stuff seems like a distraction from that project. And now you're saying you don't think there's the talent base in Wisconsin alone. Right, you've got to bring engineers into short-term housing in all these cities around Wisconsin to help grow a talent base. And I'm wondering, like this entire book is about meetings with politicians and getting the deal together and whether Scott Walker arrives in China and goes straight on the factory tour, stops at the hotel first. That's all whining and dining politicians. Nowhere in this book is an economic defense of this investment. Where it okay, says, let, let me come this back is a, a good idea that we think will return a profit to us. Let me come back to you a couple of things. There were no napkins. Okay. Um, the, the one thing that you publish based on open record requests is actually what I wrote in the book, which is a piece of paper on stationery from Governor Walker, where both Chairman Go and Governor Walker sign on to make a commitment to reshore manufacturing. That's a fact. There's no napkin and there's no paper all right, and I will, all that stuff. I will stuff. concede that there is not a napkin. 
Uh, now, having the team fly into Japan, not China, is a way to showcase and really impress and communicate with them how big this project was or would have been, and how committed the company would be in finding the right partner and the right state to make an investment. Uh, I put some words and pages behind that, and I think I've I, I thank you all for reading through that already. Foxconn is a 180-plus billion-dollar company. And every day, if you do the averaging, is half a billion dollars of products or financial resources or cash moving around the world, half a billion dollars every day. We don't make investment very, very casually. And therefore, the biggest criterion we had is the commitment of the people we work with. So President Trump and the Office of American Innovation throughout engagement had demonstrated that. And our site selection process went down to the state and the local level and allowed us to gauge who would be the best partners. At the end, we said there were two, Ohio and Wisconsin, Governor Kasich and Governor Walker. That was our conclusion. That was one of my points within the book. But when you say Gen 10.5, I would just bring out a very simple but very, very interesting fact that if staff support and staff input were taken into account, the Gen 10.5 fab would have gone to Ohio, period. Because well, it, Or it wouldn't have because there's no fab. No, no, because Ohio is a lot closer to the eastern seaboard and end-use market, and the logistics and everything would have worked a lot better. And given what we see in hindsight with the business environment, Ohio investment climate has only gone better, not worse, unlike Wisconsin. And Wisconsin won the Gen 6 FAP, and they won the application, they won the ability to work with medical, with dual use, and other solutions that a Gen 10.5 would not work. So later on, when we pivot back to, hey, let's go back to what you want at Wisconsin, the Walk administration actually would have supported that. But unfortunately, we didn't get there with the uh, the next um, I wanna, administration. I want to push back on that because according to records that I received, there was over a year uh, period when the Evers administration was asking Foxconn to tell it what it was building, whether it was a Gen 6 or a server manufacturing facility or something else so that they could revise the contract to reflect that. And you, among other Foxconn executives, refused to tell them. So I think the idea that the Walker administration would have welcomed a Gen 6 while the Evers wouldn't have is not accurate. Why wouldn't Foxconn tell the Evers administration what it was building? Actually, that's not a fact. We actually had told them. We have told the WDC secretary during the Walker administration, and we have told his successor, and we have told the governor. But I think the public narrative, unfortunately, has been one-sided, and the company decided not to actually talk about this in the open and not negotiate in the open. Uh, I will share a bit more in my next book on that. Um, I understand where Alan, at some point you have to, coming I, from. I understand you got a next book, but you got to answer this question. There is not a Gen 6 fab. There is not a Gen 10.5 fab. There is not a factory that is making anything that is known to anyone, as far as we can tell. If you had just said, we're going to make a Gen 6 fab, I think everyone would have been like, okay, where is it? But there isn't one. The idea that it's the Evers administration and that business climate changed or Wisconsin was the wrong choice, which is what you're suggesting right now, all of that, that's on Foxconn, right? Foxconn chose Wisconsin. If they chose Wisconsin wrong and, and you should have chose Ohio because of politics, still on Foxconn. If you decided 10.5 wasn't going to work out and Gen 6 was better and you couldn't convince the Evers administration that you were actually going to build an LCD factory, what we have heard from that administration is you never engaged or told them anything. So where, where is the accountability here for there not being a factory? Oh, let me actually correct what you just said. Wisconsin was the first choice, 
and Wisconsin remain the top choice for Foxconn for this project. Flying but you Eagle. just said Ohio is better. Oh, Ohio would have been better for Gen 10.5. But once we made the commitment to build the fab in Wisconsin, it was no looking back. Okay. okay. And, and that's really something that you should get from the first book, and you'll probably get more from the second book. And you keep asking, where's the Gen 6 fab? You know, if you look at some of the investment and some of the sizing of everything, uh, it is actually built for Gen 6 fab, the clean room and everything. But one thing I would caution you, and since you get me here to speak with the two of you, and I appreciate that, you cannot make conclusion or inferences without getting the other side story, okay? In other words, it's not like nothing is being built there. They just would choose not to tell you. What's being built And there? if you read my book, and some people did, and you did too, is that uh, Foxon and Chairman Gold believe that publicity is not helpful in terms of the customers because they don't want you to share is client confidentiality. And publicity is not helpful in terms of competition because you are actually telegraphing your competitors. But there was an enormous amount of client publicity. We were told that uh, Brigo was going to build coffee robots there. We were told that Google was going to build servers there. We were told there was going to be a Gen 6 LCD factory there. And none of that's. We were told that you were going to build ventilators. None of that stuff happened. No, no, no. Okay. This This is great. Okay. You have to realize in our line of business and also what we intended to do in Wisconsin is a combination or a mix of both, okay? Um, We did build certain things in there, whether actually it would continue. In many cases, it's not up to the company to disclose publicly because, number one, we have no obligation to share whether it launched, it commands, and whether it ended. We did have commitment and obligation to the state of Wisconsin and its people when the contract, but also in terms of spirit of the contract or agreement demands it. So in the case of ventilator, it is a midst of COVID-19. You would not believe how much work and how much you know goodwill was there to actually talk to potential partners in but Minnesota. Did, did you make ever make a Medtronic ventilator at that facility? Well, I think you should ask those two companies, but I can tell you without- No, I'm asking you. Be, no, I, without betraying the confidentiality that products or prototype had been made, but by the time the ventilator was up and running and actually would have been shipped, the world had find out they don't really need ventilators. Okay, so there are lots of projects, lots of prototypes that the company make and endeavor to do may not pan out. By the same token, you know, whether the servers, the PC board or any communication products are built, they have been built, they have been shipped, but they would not tell you because they are not actually in a position to share some of this information. That's why, you know, we would not be able to talk to The Verge or other media outlet unless there's a business reason to do that, or unless we have the okay with our partners or our client to say so. Now, what, in the case what of- client doesn't want the enormous win of saying we are the client for Foxconn in Wisconsin? Okay. We asked that's a good all question. the people that we no, heard about. No, that's a question. Brigo, as a client and a partner of Foxconn, allow us to actually mention that we're building the prototype, we're building the first articles, for Brigo, we got express approval and agreement from that company to publicize that. The ventilator was in a very, very difficult situation called COVID, and our chairman actually made the phone call to Minneapolis to actually talk to the chairman CEO there to get the project up and running. We don't want to take credit for that. We don't actually think it's something, anything beyond just a corporate citizen would do. But if you come back to whether you build Gen 10.5 or Gen 6, the project was moving along to build a Gen 6 fab, and we would have added more to it if it progressed further from there. That is what I can tell you at this point. But you're right. There is no Gen 6 or Gen 10.5 fab, and I think the agreement that they amended last year and actually signed into new contract 
notifying the original one, probably put that into a period, no longer a question mark, and you can seal that one for now. There's no Gen 6, no Gen 25 fab. Okay. okay. So we killed that one. Okay. You can call that win-win for both parties or you can call it lose-lose. But I would just pose a question to everybody, including myself, because I'm a resident in Wisconsin now and I pay taxes and my son goes to school there and all that good stuff. Would you rather a company invest $10 billion in your state, or would you rather they invest only $1 billion? Okay, so right now we get the letter. Okay, and I ask the same question. If you take that $9 billion and go somewhere else, would other governors or countries welcome that with open hand? And I'm hearing that Saudi Arabia and UUA is looking to talk to Foxconn to create a $9 billion project in those countries. And I'm hearing that the likes of Ohio and other states continue to welcome Foxconn to put what amount of investment there. I would hope our politicians, uh, our legislators on both sides to go back to the year 2017 when I was here first time and actually work together to actually assure the next investor or company to come to Wisconsin don't get the same kind of feeling or treatment that we did after we signed the deal. I'm not placing any blame to anybody. I want more investment to come. If they don't feel the contract was fair, then they can renegotiate. But I have to keep in mind and actually point out to everybody, and it's in my book that it was a bipartisan effort to pass the legislation to actually approve this deal. And both sides of the aisle supported it and the governor signed it into um, I want to stop you there for a second. You mentioned you're teasing these other projects in Saudi Arabia or Ohio or various other places that might or might not be happening. And whether or not Foxconn manufactured some secret products that you can't tell us about, Foxconn announced a lot of stuff that is sort of their MO in Wisconsin to make these big announcements about innovation centers or smart cities or the factory that's building this or that. And I talked to a lot of people who really believed those promises and they left good jobs to be part of a revival of U.S. manufacturing. You mentioned patriots when you started. I talked to a lot of people who felt very patriotic about this idea. And then they got there and they saw it was not happening. There was no attempt to invest in an LCD factory, no willingness to invest in really much of any manufacturing there. They, they felt that it was all optics. There was no plan. Um, it was all just announcements announcements of big things that were going to happen that never happened. And they felt betrayed. How do you answer these people? These are good questions, uh, more than one loaded questions. Um, let, let, me, let me address them one by one. Okay. I, I think over the years, your reports have been very detailed, very comprehensive. Some of the information in there might need to be revisited, may not be accurate. Uh, I can point it out offline. Tell us what's not accurate. Okay. Um, when you look at India, when you look at Vietnam... No, a you... answer the question about the employees in Wisconsin who felt betrayed. Okay, I can do that later, but I'll, I'll no, do No, I want now. you to do that now. Okay. We're running out of time. I want you to do that now. No, no. Well, the company made investment. The company made announcement. And sometimes it depends on certain factors, certainly including the customers in the marketplace, on the timing the pace of that happening, okay? Based on the market needs, based on the wants and needs of the customer, they can crank it up or it may take a little bit longer. I mean, some of your report talked about it never happened in Vietnam, it never happened in India, $5 billion, uh, so many, so many jobs. If you go to Vietnam, you go to India right now, you can see the investment, the tremendous prosperity Foxconn as a company had brought there. And uh, we were very proud to work with Prime Minister Modi to bring the investment to India near Chennai. And I think that project and the site have ways to go. But two years ago, five years ago, your comments and the narrative would have been very negative. So I would urge you and everybody else to take a longer term horizon and really look at what we're doing and what the company do. I no longer speak for or work for the company, so I wanna make sure you understand that. And I'm not defending the company per se, but I'm just sharing you with facts. 
and just look at what's happening in India, in Vietnam. Great things okay, are happening. That's India and Vietnam, but what what about the people in 2018 and 2019 that you hired to be part of a manufacturing renaissance who left good jobs in Wisconsin because they thought they were going to build something and then ended up being asked, maybe you should figure out what Foxconn should do in Wisconsin. And and I was one of them on both sides. And I have every intention to actually build and help bring manufacturing and innovation and technical and R&D jobs. And I also eventually left the company. But one thing I would point out is that we recruit these people with good intention, me personally and professionally. Uh, we made a good faith effort to actually make things happen, including right now, there are a lot of people, hundreds of people over there to try to make something happen there. And some of those they cannot tell you. Okay. Now, um, one of the people I work with, and it's a great pleasure, which is uh, Major General Tim Sedalis. When I brought him in and he actually supported the project, one thing he said to me was, you know, you have some challenges here, including human resources, including maybe visioning and make, making things happen. The outcome with that would be invariably, Foxon would become a training ground for other companies within the region, within the state, and you're going to lose a lot of talent, and many of them with good intention. And some of them left in good terms, other might not be, maybe something that Josh you had talked to, and someone that might be a little bit unhappy when they departed the company, maybe even involuntarily. But invariably, I think they got something out of it. They got training, they got the stepping stone and the experiences to move on to other positions and other companies. I can point to you at least 30 or 50 people that have actually moved on to great organization, good companies, take great responsibility and doing quite well. Now, I take pride in in doing that. Do I wish they had stayed on at Foxconn and doing the Flying Eagle project? Of course I do. And I wish I would do that too myself being in the project, working for Foxconn, building that Gen 10.5 or Gen 6 fab, but that didn't happen. But why did I leave? Because I believed I can do a lot more outside Foxconn than inside Foxconn and doing a lot faster, including Innovation Center, including speak to the two of you. <laughs> I'm happy you're here. Right? Uh, yeah, I, I got to tell you, though, you know, I, Josh received many more of these calls, but I received phone calls from people in tears who had left senior positions as executives because they believed in this and they had felt betrayed. And I think hopefully they all got better jobs in the end. That's something you should recognize. No, I, I appreciate that. And I, I actually had not got to that point. I will write about that in my following on book, but I did mention a little bit about the sacrifices that people made in make this project happen, at least during 2017 and maybe early on the 2018 that spilled into it. And one of these group of people are the farmers and the residents within that site in Mount Pleasant. I felt we had been fair and we have been about board in working with the local and the state government in making the project happen. I heard about getting people out of their farms and homes, and it really is not like that. You know, people were selling their farm at $5,000 an acre. Uh, we made a conscious decision not to buy any of the land, any of the farms in the home before announcement was made because it would not be fair to them. But they all got the same package, the same deal. Many of those people got $50,000 per acre, and uh, quite a number of them become millionaires. And they were able to just go across and buy the land and have the farm and have more money in the pocket and move on from there. But then if you say, well, it's involuntary, that's not true. Because the people who chose not to leave or move, they can stay. And they did. And they Resident, Residents were threatened with eminent domain and about 80 homes were bulldozed. And whether or not they were happy with the house they could buy with whatever compensation they received, I did speak to homeowners who had built homes thinking they would spend the rest of their lives there only to find Foxconn was coming, moving, having their home demolished, and then finding out that Foxconn never really actually needed the land. In terms of residents being able to stay, and you're probably referring to Kim Mahoney, who decided to stay, 
is no longer in a neighborhood and now sits next to a mysterious Foxconn glass dome. I would actually be curious if you could tell us what is inside the dome. Okay, well, as I said before, and I think you mentioned that too, that there's no eminent domain per se. The people who chose no, to stay there was eminent domain. To no, be, like they were the, the people. With it, yeah. it the fact prove it. The people who wanted to stay, stayed, and they're still there. The people who wanted to leave or agree and decided to leave and move on to life and get compensated, they did. Okay. I have said before, I'm grateful for their sacrifice, the contribution, and the support. But when you get 10x the price increase from $5,000 to $50,000 an acre, and many of them actually became very successful removing themselves there and buying new farms and new homes elsewhere, before the current price increases on land and homes, I think they have done very well. For those who decided not to go, we respect that and we continue to support them. But on the other hand, those were their choices. I think in the long term, whether Foxconn continues to invest and other companies, including possible the next Intel coming in, this site is very, very attractive. It's very prime. And if you look at the corridor between Milwaukee and O'Hare and Chicago, this is probably the most exciting site that one would really look at, not just upper Midwest, um, but elsewhere as well, including places like Ohio. And people ask me why Ohio won over Wisconsin as the first one up. There are multiple factors, and some of those we already talked about. We need to take another break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about what AI 8K plus 5G really means and hopefully find out what's going on inside that dome. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... 3 a.m. The office was shocked. That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. We're back with Alan Young. Alan, we're running out of time. I need to ask you a few questions that I've been dying to know the answers to. Okay. Your book talks a lot about AI, 8K plus 5G. Foxconn talked a lot about it. It was never defined as far as I could tell. We searched and searched. What on earth is AI, 8K plus 5G? Okay. That would be actually in the next book. But no, but this book, it's I'll, in this I'll, book. I'll, I'll, well, the whole point is this. Foxconn and especially Sharp in the year 2016 and 2017 held a commanding lead in terms of AK technology. And I'll, I'll actually expand on that in my next book. And uh, our plan was to build more capacity in North America to support the growing business here in the US and also build more capability to support other usage such as medical and all that. And there are some usage, there are some prototypes that we work with, including dual use and defense for heads up displays and maybe even antenna and other usage that require thin film technology. 
And those are the things that we had talked about, and it would go beyond what Foxconn usually do as an EMS provider. Meaning okay. we have a brand called Shop, and we have capability, and we have will and intent and commitment to do that. Now, AI would have been a little bit less advanced than um, AK. 5G, Foxconn had tremendous capability uh, in both Taiwan and elsewhere. And the usage for 5G is both indoor and outdoor. Uh, some of the indoor uh, IoT capability that you can use for logistics, supply chain, warehouse management is a prime example of using 5G indoor even before you go outdoor. And some of that work was being done by the FII team. And I think they have done some good work there. Unfortunately, uh, a lot of the customers and traction might not be in the upper Midwest and Wisconsin. Now, AI is actually uh, a tough nut to crack because most of us don't know enough about what artificial intelligence or deep learning or big data would be. And if you look at how to actually monetize AI, most of that is in autonomous vehicle and, and not a hot area or segment. It is, again, not within the factory floor. Uh, the best example would be GE Digital. And I will talk about it in the next book. GE Digital actually invested 10, 15 years into that business. And it took them that long to come up with maybe crossing a billion dollars in revenue. So I just want to be clear. you The, the pitch was there would be an AI 8K plus 5G ecosystem. That yep. was the phrase we kept hearing, that this mm -hmm. was an ecosystem. You're telling me the 8K part was sharp displays for defense applications, medical applications, stuff like that. Then the 5G stuff was uh, putting sensors and control units on manufacturing indoors, not the cell radio And potentially stuff. autonomous vehicles. And potentially autonomous vehicles. And yeah. then the AI part was to be determined, GE has done something, but maybe autonomous vehicles. How is that an well, ecosystem? I, no, I, no, I didn't say that. I'm, I'm telling you the area of uh, artificial intelligence within Foxconn was not as advanced as the other two, but doesn't mean we don't have investment there. Sure, but um, how is that an ecosystem? Because those are the two, uh, three areas that we would invest and they but, tie in with each other. Just using 5G and AI is an example. And you wrote extensively about my autonomous vehicle project that didn't quite happen. But the UW Madison engineering team did work with Racine to take it to the next steps and all the credit goes to them. But uh, I, interview a lot to of, I interview a lot of car CEOs on this show, man. Like a lot of car no, no, CEOs no, no, I, on the show. Right. None of them so, can make the cars drive themselves. Why can Foxconn do it? No, the idea is some of that driving or the equipment or the sensing should not reside in the vehicle, right? Sure. If you put the $10,000 LiDAR back then, it's $50,000 and all the equipment, you basically have a server sitting in the trunk mm -hmm. of a $100,000 vehicle. Yeah, again, you name an move, autonomous driving CEO. I've talked to them right, on right. this show. If you move some of that computation and sensing capability from the vehicle to the roadside. Sure. You so have the, the, AI five, the, sorry, the AI 8K plus 5G ecosystem was autonomous cars. No, no, it, that's an example. So, so okay. now you have a client server model between the vehicle and the roadside. So your vehicle equipment costs will be down to four digit as opposed to six digit. Okay? Yeah. So I, your sensors, your lidars, your communication, before it was 4G, it could become 5G, and, and your lidar, and I just all wanna, these other sensors. I just want to push on this. That's great. No, no, no. That I, requires I a, a 5G network. Was Foxconn going to build a 5G network? Foxconn actually provides some of the equipment, the components into that industry, uh, whether it's actually serving different customers. I can't get into that. But we were not going to put up 5G towers, if that's what that you, was So the that was not going to be a network. You're but go 5G the 5G tower indoor okay. was part of the plan. Okay, Whether that happened or not, I can't tell you because part of that was I left the company. If I do know, I, I probably would not be in a position to tell you. You have to go back and ask them if anybody would speak with you. Okay, I actually do want to say one thing to two of you. I actually am very thankful for your reporting and by and large, pretty comprehensive and accurate. The areas that they need to 
have some correction. I hope you go back and correct them. Well, that's what I'm asking you. you. I would urge you to be looking at a bit more positive and more futuristic and don't be so negative all the time because I think we should look past the politics and I will support that. I will come back <laughs> and speak for you more. We would love to hear from you. What's, so the dome in Mount Pleasant, there's that glass orb that Foxconn built. Mm-hmm. What is inside of it? I think their uh, data center capability, including equipments and servers. In the dome? With, oh, you've never been there? Because there are a they lot of people who actually... Okay, well, there are a lot of people who have actually gone through the tour. And, and so, they okay, have but seen what's in the dome? That. In the actual glass dome, what's in it? Um, right now, I can't tell you, but the best of my knowledge from back then is that their data center capability. And once again, um, I would say it this way, okay? Everything that Foxon did in there on campus, inside the dome, those are pioneering work. And as said, our chairman said, Yang Liu said, we did all this based on business. It's not political. Pioneering in okay? what? So if the scale... If the scale for the data center equipment and some of the work that they would do is pioneering, they probably wouldn't tell you. A lot of that is actually in partnership with some of the biggest name within the data center world. And they may not carry the Foxhorn label when it becomes commercialized. But I can assure you that the dome is needed. But if I ask you and tell you... Uh, the, the dome, dome is be- needed. To the, do pioneering the, data center work. The dome should have been better and bigger. Okay. The dome actually was <laughs> making us. No, if anyone says to me a dome should be bigger, I always agree with them. That no, is no, true. The, the, the dome right now is limited in scale. Okay. If they make it slightly bigger, I think it would better scale. But then when you have the kind of negative environment. Well, I just want to be clear. They You're don't want to invest that big. The dome itself is required for pioneering data center work. Okay, well, okay. If you put it that way, the dome, whether the architecture is needed, okay. I'll, I'll let you go back to FII and ask them that. But I think they want to make a statement for the Foxconn investment for the campus there to, to go beyond just, you know, tin roof and yeah. really gray wall there. What's so in you, the dome? The dome uh, itself, what's inside of it? Data center. There's a data center inside the dome. That's what I just told you three times. Okay, okay. I, I believe you. I've seen a lot <laughs> no, of data centers. I've never heard anyone tell me the best shape for a data center is a dome. No, no, no. The shape or the size or the scale of that dome, whether it is relevant, appropriate, and optimized for data center, I cannot say. But for some <laughs> of the pioneering work and the development projects that they are actually working on, FI team believed that was the optimal, there's the right thing to do. And again, if they would speak with you on record, I think you can get the answer. Other than that, speak to the people who had gone through the tour and see if they can tell you more. But I would not speculate as to whether it's right or wrong because some of the reports you had got all the facts right or some of the facts right, but the conclusion is not advisable. And then I can help you over time to actually put some, you know, really positive but also fair interpretation on that and, and you guys have done well over the years and i congratulate you and then i mentioned seeing you quite a few times on cnbc and and i would encourage you to look at things from both sides and if there's nobody else speak with you i'll, I'll do that the best <laughs> of my knowledge <laughs> I and i'm not that. doing them a favor i'm just telling you there are facts and the data and their information that Probably you should have is unfortunate that there's only one side because the other side wouldn't speak with you. I I agree, and I will tell you. <laughs> I think I, we should we agree tried on that. Very hard. We tried <laughs> yeah, very hard. Yeah, you did. You did. And uh, I, I I very much wanted to speak with you on record, but due to the circumstances and some of the political sensitivity, it probably best that I was not <laughs> able to do that. Maybe. You look at what happened to my tweet. Um, it just got way out of hand because people got. <laughs> too excited about it. Um, it's true. I'll, I'll, Twi- I'll, Twitter is bad for everybody. I, I think we can confidently agree on that. <laughs> I will tell you that, can I just, uh, and I know you've got to run, but my one gentle pushback to the press was too negative. I've been doing this a long time. The easiest way to get good press out of The Verge is to say you're going to do something and then do it, right? And all of the perceived negativity here is we heard about a lot of things that were going to happen 
that didn't happen. Okay, let me answer to your question as a closing here. I said that before within other media outlet, and I said that there are a hundred things that Foxconn would do or said they would do. And if you don't aim high, none of these hundred things are actually worth doing. But if in the process of trying your best, putting all your resources and making a commitment to do it, we got two or three things done, the outcome is a $185 billion company that's spending around the world and the likes of OEM brand name will work with any day if you're asking. Yeah, but a lot of people in and Wisconsin that's the company you want to come heard to. about the hundred things you promised to do and believed they were real and came and whether or not Foxconn did two or three is up for debate, but they certainly felt that uh, they were misled in what Foxconn was promising to do. Okay. Whether they were misled by someone or by some organization, I cannot speak to that unless they go on record and talk to you or maybe speak with me. But I would look back and say it was still a positive experience. That's over a billion dollars investment from the company, another 600 million plus to come. And if you look at the contract, they're getting less than 5% tax credit. Okay, And this company continue to invest here but they will look elsewhere if you get bad treatment and awful tax credits. And there are other competition out there. So as Wisconsinite, I would just urge everybody just to take a look, look forward and say, how can we win the next Intel project? How can we actually make sure people look at Wisconsin as really good business environment for investment? Not just because change of governorship or because the press is always negative, or we have a few people who actually decide not to move, but hey, those were all our choices. I understand it. I'm empathetic about that, but let's move forward and actually do something positive. And I would just support the Verge to do the same. <laughs> if you find three positive things for me, I'll actually share that with you. If you actually want to confirm on things that are negative, I'll do the same. I appreciate that. And I promise you, we're going to track Intel in Ohio just as closely <laughs> as we track Foxconn in Wisconsin. Good Intel is a great company, and I congratulate them, but also Ohio for that uh, for that deal. It would be good for them. All right. Well, Alan, you've given us a lot of time. I have 10 million more questions. It sounds like you got to put out this next book to get any of the answers. When's the next book coming out? Uh, it will be this year. And uh, again, it's, it's going to be called Wisconsin Valley. Um, I will share a lot more facts beyond the 2017. All right, and then we'll, we'll have you right back and we'll talk about it. Thank you. All right, thanks, thanks so much, Alan. Thanks again to Alan Young for taking the time to talk today. Thank you to Josh Jezza for joining me and for all of his reporting on Fox Hunt over the years. And of course, thank you for tuning into Decoder. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, I'd love to hear your thoughts of the show. You can email us at decoder at theverge.com. You can hit me up directly on at reckless on Twitter. If you like Decoder, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you really like the show, give us that five-star review. And here's a secret. If you tweet at me about the show, I will almost certainly retweet you. We're also nominated for a Webby Award. You can vote for us for a People's Voice Webby Award. A link to vote is in the show notes. Decoder is a production of The Verge and part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today's episode was produced by Creighton D. Simone and Jackie McDermott. It was edited by Callie Wright. Decoder music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Our senior audio director is Andrew Marino, and our executive producer is Eleanor Donovan. We'll see you next time. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.